Well, good morning again. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 12? If you're new with us, welcome. It's good to see you. And to let you know, we are working our way through John's Gospel. And uh, today we are in chapter 12. And as we said when we first came to chapter 12, we're about a couple of days from the crucifixion of Christ at this point. And so now, Jesus makes a final impassioned plea, a last call to the people of Israel and to its leadership to receive him as their king and escape the judgment that was coming. Back up to verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So the last part of verse 36 tells us that Jesus' ministry to the nation of Israel had now officially ended. Verses 37 through 50 were inserted by John into his gospel at this point to summarize Jesus' public ministry to Israel and to, and to stress the danger of coming judgment to all who failed to receive his message and embrace him as Savior. Now, we have broken down the end of chapter 12 like this. This is our outline. The cross is looming, rebellion is reigning, judgment is coming. We want to focus on that third and final main point this morning, and it has three sub-points. So the judgment is coming, verses 42 to 50, and the first point under that is the counterfeit faith of men-pleasers. So John 12, 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So once again, John tells us that Jesus had ended his ministry to Israel uh, with a last call to the nation, verse 36. Now he, John, uh, is looking back and evaluating the response. First, he tells us that some did believe in Jesus. These were leaders uh, in various synagogues and things probably throughout the area. So first of all, uh, some did believe in Jesus, but they would not go public with their faith because they were afraid the Pharisees would excommunicate them from the synagogue, which was a big deal back then. You were basically cut off from the community. Okay, that was a big deal. We talked about that at length in John 9 because uh, they excommunicated the guy that Jesus healed that was blind. And we talked about what that actually meant. So you can go online and just check out that one part if you'd like. But uh, John adds that the motivation for keeping their faith a secret was because confessing that they had come to believe in Jesus would have been to commit social suicide. And by that I mean that to embrace Jesus when so many people in the nation had rejected him. By this point, he did have some disciples, of course, but most of the nation had rejected him. Why? Well, the Pharisees and scribes and chief priests, they were working the crowds pretty heavy. 
And basically, they told the people, look, he can't be the Messiah because if he was the Messiah, he would lead the nation in a revolt against Rome and establish the kingdom. He's not doing it. He's telling us to love our enemies. What is that all about, right? Loving our enemies. We want to fight our enemies. We want to take the nation back from Rome and establish the kingdom. So because he wasn't talking like a military leader, many had written him off. Some of them even went as far as to, to say he was demon-possessed. Check out Matthew 12. And so because they, to embrace Jesus would mean that um, because so many had rejected him, uh, it would have caused, if they embraced him, it would have caused so many to turn against them, ridicule them, and ostracize them from the community. Uh, John tells us this was something these so-called believers in Jesus couldn't deal with. They couldn't deal with the idea of being ostracized from the community. That's what they were afraid of. It says they were afraid the Pharisees were going to excommunicate them from the synagogue. Again, that meant cut them off from uh, the community. Nobody would have any, anything to do with them. People wouldn't talk to them. If they had a business, they stopped doing business with them. Uh, you are a pariah uh, after you were uh, excommunicated from the synagogue. And so because they couldn't deal with it, they couldn't handle the idea that people wouldn't like them anymore. Why? Because they loved the praise of men more then they love the praise of God, we read here. In other words, these people desired to please men. They desired to receive praise and honor from men more than they desired to receive praise and honor from God. Now look, I don't know their hearts, all right? They might have truly believed in Jesus and been saved. I don't know, but just carnal. You know how new believers, they're, they're, just, they're still carnal, Right? And so, you know, in a given situation, they might not stand up for Jesus and say, I'm a Christian. They might hide, you know, because they they're not ready to be bold yet, okay? So, you know, it could be that. However, it also could be that their faith, quote-unquote, in Jesus wasn't genuine saving faith, but a superficial counterfeit faith that believed with their heads but not with their hearts. In other words, guys, a faith that stopped short of really making a commitment to Christ and entering into salvation. Now, it is possible to believe a lot of right facts about Jesus and still not be saved. I mean, I was a Roman Catholic. I've told you this, and I believed everything about Jesus I believe now, but I wasn't saved, okay? I mean, you can have a lot of head knowledge, a lot of right, good head knowledge, and still go to hell. In fact, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 19, even the demons believe and tremble. Obviously, they're not going to heaven, okay? Well, what's the difference? If demons believe everything about Christ that we believe, if as a Roman Catholic, I believe everything about Jesus I now believe, why are some going to heaven and some not? One word, commitment, commitment. It's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another thing to make a heart commitment. We're going to see in a very short while, that Judas Iscariot fell into this category. Judas Iscariot fell into this category. Judas spent three and a half years with Jesus as one of his apostles, right? I mean, he lived with Jesus. So did all the disciples, uh, the 12, okay? Uh, but Judas never made a commitment to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people going to church who, for a lack of a better term, are dating Jesus, all right? but never have made a commitment to him. It's like 
the guy who dates this gal perennially, but never makes a commitment to her to marry her, right? Obviously, he enjoys her company, but he doesn't want to make a commitment because that means he'll have to give up some things, there's sacrifice involved, and he doesn't want to go there. There's a lot of people who are churchgoers that understand if they make a commitment to Christ, um, it's a whole different ballgame. And they still want to hang on to the world. They still want to do the things of the world. But they still want Jesus, too. They like to hang out with him. Judas hung out with Jesus for two and a half years. Never made that commitment. We're going to see in John 13, Jesus tells us flat out, he's the son of perdition, and he was never saved. We'll get there. But Judas had a superficial faith, not a saving faith. A lot of people have that. They have religion, but they don't have a relationship. That's what Christianity is really all about. Now, look, I could be wrong. I personally believe that these people didn't have true saving faith. Verse 42, that many of the leaders believed in him, right? But uh, wouldn't confess him publicly. Wouldn't go out and say, look, I'm a believer now. I believe in Jesus. They wouldn't do that. And I believe that it proves, in my mind at least, and I could be wrong, that they didn't have saving faith. Uh, they came close but stopped short. Is that possible? Yeah. In fact, the Bible warns us against that. If you're going to pursue a course where you're kind of finding out what Christianity is all about and who Jesus really was and all of this, excuse me, after you come to a position where you've got the information, now you have to make the commitment if you're going to benefit from the information and be saved, okay? Um, I don't know, but I don't think these people had crossed over. I think they had some head faith, not, uh, had not made a heart commitment. I mean, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, warns us about these people. How they can look good, come to church, even be involved in ministry, and yet they've stopped short. They, and eventually, they go back to the life they know because they're not born again. They don't have a new nature. God's nature is not in them. So eventually... Uh, they go back to the world because they're really still of the world, is the idea. And you can read about that in Second uh, Peter, First uh, Peter chapter two, and other places uh, come up, and I can direct you to some of the, the teachings we did on this subject. It's pretty important. But again, I could be wrong, but I don't think they had saving faith. Why do I think that? Because they didn't want to confess Christ, and it brings to mind something Jesus said in Matthew ten, verses thirty-two and three. He said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And the idea is on Judgment Day. Okay? Read Matthew 7. They're going to say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that and cast out demons and be involved in ministry? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A lot of folks on Judgment Day are going to think they're, they're, they're good. They're okay with God. Uh, but Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Okay? I never knew you. Uh, a lot of people have a form of godliness but deny the power. Uh, Paul said to Titus, it, many people have, uh, have um, professed to know God, but in works they deny him by their lives. They're, they're not really bearing fruit is the idea. Okay? Uh, but these folks, why didn't they go all the way? Why didn't they... Obviously, they believed in Jesus, or they must have believed the facts. Why didn't they take it all the way into salvation? Because, again, they, they feared 
what people would think of them. You know, in Proverbs 25, 29, uh, Solomon said, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare, okay? You, you worry too much about what people think of you, it's going to stumble you. You're not going to be able to live for the Lord. It's going to, it's going to tie you up. And, and because you're too worried about what people are going to think if you say this, do that, come out publicly, take your Bible, to, you know, that kind of thing, they're going to think badly of you. But Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 1.10, my goal is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. If, I was, uh, if my goal was to please men, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. Paul said, I don't worry about what people think of me. I just worry about what the Lord thinks of me. I just honor him. I just obey him and serve him. And whatever people think of me, good, bad, doesn't matter to me. Uh, he even said that, I think, to open up uh, the letter to the Philippians, okay? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what people think of me. Uh, it only matters what God thinks of me. So again, guys, I, I don't know their hearts. I do know this. There are a lot of these people in the church today. Jesus talked about them. He talked about the devil sowing the tares among the wheat, right? True believers are wheat. The tares are a weed called darnel. And they look just like wheat until the wheat gets big enough to start bearing fruit, uh, grain. The darnel can't because it's a weed. That's when you know the weeds from the tares from the wheat, right? But there's a lot of folks who go to church look good, look good. But Jesus did say you'll know them by the fruit, didn't he? If you look at their lives, um, you know, you, you just don't see in their lives throughout the week that they're bearing fruit. They don't talk about the Bible. They don't want to witness to anybody. Uh, they're still partying. They're still drinking with the, the guys or the gals after work, that kind of, yeah. There's just indicators, markers that you can look to and say, look, you know, I did some of those things, but I, I'm not seeing any fruit really, okay? And, and, and that's how you'll know. Now, so we saw the counterfeit faith of men pleasers. Let's look briefly at the genuine faith of God lovers. Verse 44, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Let me just say this, guys. True believers in Jesus Christ, true believers, love him, love his word, and keep his commandments. Not perfectly. None of us are perfect. But that's the goal, right? We now love the Lord because we're saved. We love his word, and we want to keep his commandments. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or in other words, if you do love me, you will keep my commandments, is the idea, okay? But true believers, God lovers, believe all that Jesus said. In fact, we believe all that God has said, period, right? And I bring that up because some I've heard some people over the years say, you know, uh, the words of Jesus, you know, the stuff in red, that is what I really pay attention to. Okay, well, let me just say this to you, all right? The stuff in red is not more anointed than the writing in black, okay? It's all God's Word. I mean, you know, translators and Bible producers, uh, not translators, but Bible uh, uh, manufacturers uh, have put Jesus' words in red because they feel it helps us to differentiate when he speaks as when others are talking. And that's great. I've got red-letter Bibles. In fact, most of my Bibles are red-letter. But I don't read the words of Jesus being more anointed than the words of Abraham or Moses or Paul. 
It's all God's word. So you understand what I'm saying, right? That um, true believers, true God lovers, we, we believe all that Jesus said, yes, in the whole word of God, but we're talking about Jesus' words right now. Yes, we believe in everything Jesus said. It's true. It's true. It's from God. And because it's from God, we wanted to obey all that he has said. Now, he's throwing this out because, again, this was his last call to Israel that John's reviewing. And the idea is that, look, he told these people, you don't love God because you don't love me. I came from him. If you would love me, that would prove you love the Father. And he, he hit them with this numerous times over the course of his ministry, right? And so he's kind of doing that now. He, he's telling them, look, if you really love God, the God of Israel, whom, who is my father and I came from, and I only speak on behalf of what he said for me to tell you, well, you would love me, you'd honor my words, and so on. This, this was his last message to Israel. How did they respond? Uh, how did they respond? Well, first of all, he stressed again that his message of hope in salvation didn't come from him alone, but from the Father, the God of Israel, something he affirmed in verses 44 and 45. Because he wanted them to know, look, you're not really rejecting me. You're rejecting the one who sent me. I have come from your God, the God you claim to worship, the God of Israel. Of course, second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself being God, became one of us, but now he's putting himself totally under the Father's authority. And he knows that if they're not going to believe him, well, he wants to point them up to Yahweh, the great God of Israel, the great God of creation. He sent me. I came from him. The words I speak are not mine, they're from him, and so on. And he stresses this in verses 44 and 5. He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Well, that's interesting, because we're going to read in John 14, that night in the upper room before the cross, right? They're having the Passover, and Jesus gets into this discussion with his disciples, and he's basically saying to them, you know, I'm not going to be with you much longer. I'm going back to the Father. I won't leave you alone like orphans. I'll send the Holy Spirit who, who will be with you always and so on. And, uh, and, and at one point, Philip says, well, Lord, um, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. And that's when Jesus said, Philip, have I not been with you so long that you would ask me this question? Show me the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And this was something that he drove home to them all throughout his ministry. That not only did he come from God the Father, he was one with God the Father. They're all part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus wanted to emphasize this one last time, that he and the Father were one, and that to believe in him, to believe in Jesus, was in fact to believe in the God of Israel, who had sent him. Unfortunately, the leaders of Israel continually refused to believe Jesus when he said these words. Turn to John 10. John 10, verse 25. Now, he's really condemning the uh, 
religious leaders of Israel who continue to refuse to believe everything he says about himself, where he came from, why he's there, where he's going back to. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And guys, this was the message he kept repeating to the people of Israel. That he had been sent into the world by God the Father to be a light. To be a light, to light their way out of the darkness of Satan's lies into the marvelous light of God's truth. When you read light and embrace the light and the light is only with you so long, he's talking about himself primarily, as we talked about last week. Uh, Jesus coming to the earth was, was the, the quintessential example of light he is the light of god but he came to bring truth from the father right the word of god and that's the idea uh you know when we talk about light it's talk, we're talking about the word of god uh you know and jesus was driving that home driving that home john began his gospel as we said last week with chapter 1 verse 9 jesus christ was the true light that gives light to every person coming into the world Ever since the Garden of Eden, man was plunged into spiritual and moral darkness. That's what the fall was all about, right? But God began to give his word even before the incarnate word became flesh and dwelt among us 2,000 years ago. But God was giving bits and pieces of truth, his light to a dark world through prophets and visions and dreams and angels. Bits and pieces for 4,000 years, or 2,000 years, I should say, uh, until Jesus Christ came. He was the uh, fulfillment, right? He was the Word made flesh, and, and He was the full disclosure of God to this world. He was the light, the light, okay? But this became the heart of His final call to the nation. Verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Uh, Paul, the Apostle echoed, Paul the Apostle echoed this when he said in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That was Satan's domain. Satan took control of us in the Garden of Eden. Originally, man was God's servant, and God gave the world to Adam and Eve and their descendants to watch over. But when man disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, without realizing the full, the full impact of what he had done, well, at that moment, he transferred the world into the hands of Satan, who became the God of this world, Earth's new owner, and guess what? Man's new master. And Satan began to work through our fallen nature now to get us to live contrary to the God who loved us and created us. But God in his great love sent his son to rescue us. That's what Paul says here in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us, <clears throat> rescued us from the kingdom of darkness 
and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Yes, on Calvary's cross, his blood paid for our sins, and atoned for them, and allowed us to now come to God, have fellowship with him, become children of God, rescued us from the kingdom of Satan, and ultimately from the uh, eternity in hell and so on. Now, guys, look, verse 44 tells us that Jesus cried out, right? Now, we're talking about his last call to the nation. We read here in verse 44 that it says Jesus cried out his final words to the nation of Israel. The Amplified Bible translates that Greek word loudly declared. The fact that Jesus cried out or loudly declared his final invitation to the nation indicates, listen, the importance and the urgency of what he was saying to the people of Israel. Right? I mean, when you're really excited, you know, uh, you start crying out, right? I mean, good heavens, one of the kids just fell off the swing set, and they're bleeding, and you call 911, and you're crying out for help, right? You don't say, oh, hey, how are you today? How's it going with, you know, just, uh, you having a good day? No, you cry out, right? It, it, it means something's going on that, please listen to me. There's something I need your help with, or, or something I need to tell you. There's danger coming. Jesus cried out. However, they were so hard-hearted by this time in his ministry, again, just a few days, two or three days from the cross, that even though he had been warning them about coming judgment, well, their ears were so dull, so dull of hearing by this time, they never comprehended the reality of what he was saying. They laughed it off. Kind of like when Noah was building the ark for that 120 years in his driveway, preaching the whole time, the Bible tells us. What do you think people were doing? They're laughing at him mocking him. They didn't believe it was going to happen. First of all, they didn't know what rain was. They never saw rain, okay? But it's the same thing with Jesus. They're, they're, he's crying out to the nation, repent, please, come to me. Judgment's coming. And they're laughing. They're mocking him because we're God's people. We got the temple here. There's no way he's going to judge us, is the idea, right? And because they were so hard-hearted, so dull of hearing, even though Jesus tried to warn them, uh, they didn't comprehend it. They, it, it just went in one, or, in one or out the other. And as such, they were totally oblivious to the fact that the nation was standing on the very precipice of judgment. America, beware. America, beware. I mean, here Jesus came to them to save them from coming judgment. And he's got his hand extended out to them right now, basically. He's got their, they're in quicksand, and he says, take my hand, and I'll save you. And yet they're mocking him as they're going under. It's really amazing how wrong a person can be about spiritual things and think they're so right. And you try to reason with them, maybe it's a family member, and you have got such love in your heart for them, you're so concerned, you're crying out. And they're mocking you, they're laughing at you. Well, don't give up on them, keep praying for them. But it's amazing that these people were so close to judgment and yet so oblivious to what was coming, just like so many in the world today, judgment is coming. 
We know it because we know the word, right? We're studying Revelation. So we know it's coming. And yet it's amazing that a lot of people have no idea what is coming on this earth, the judgment that is coming. So you say, well, did Israel ever receive what Jesus was saying? Did they ever heed the warning? Well, we know they didn't from history, right? 38 years later from this very time Jesus is crying out. God allowed the Roman garrison to come. Titus Vespasian and his armies from Rome. And they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Um, a million Jews plus were slaughtered. All because they did not receive their Messiah. They did not know the day of their visitation. They did not listen to his word. Now, guys, look, we have looked at the counterfeit faith of some who profess faith in Christ, but who wouldn't proclaim their faith publicly because they love the praise, they love the honor of men more than the praise of God. I was thinking about that, about this today. I wonder how many people are going to wind up in hell who actually believe in Jesus, with their heads, I'm saying. I mean, they grew up in church, went to Awanas maybe, Sunday school, uh, something where they, you know, uh, I went to CD, in Catholic Church CD classes, okay? Um, but the idea is, and I always believed in Jesus, even as a kid. I never at any time in my life didn't believe in Jesus. But I wasn't saved, okay? I wasn't saved. And I'm wondering how many people are going to wind up in hell who are like these folks. They believe in Jesus, but because they don't want people to think badly of them, because they don't want to lose their friends, they don't ever make a commitment to Christ, they'd rather have the praise of their friends than the praise of God. Think about that. Think about, and I'm thinking mostly of young people, but there are adults that are desperately in need of affirmation from other people. I mean, my heart just breaks thinking of people in hell who didn't have to be there, who actually believed in Jesus but never made a commitment. All because they were too worried about what their friends were going to think. That's not going to be any comfort in hell, I guarantee you that. It reminds us of something Jesus said, had said earlier in his ministry to the leaders of Israel. Turn to John 5. Of course, Jesus never worried about the honor of men. I mean, you know, he never wrote a copy of, you know, how to win friends and influence people. You know, that wasn't the way he worked. And he tells us so right here in John 5, starting with verse 41, speaking of these, to these very leaders, maybe some of them, who had believed in him but not all the way to salvation, he said in verse 41, John 5, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive, actually looking forward to the Antichrist coming, uh, who they will embrace initially as their Messiah, but realize at one point that they've made a terrible mistake. Okay, read uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. But, uh, you know, I came in my Father's name, 
you wouldn't receive me. Another is going to come in his own name. Him you're going to love and embrace. Okay? What he's saying, right? Verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father on the day of judgment is the idea. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. Well, the one place I can think primarily, Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 to 20, Moses said that God is going to at one point send another prophet like me, and him you must listen to. Well, he's here, yet they're not listening to him. So Jesus said, look, if you really believe, because they had big, big Moses fans, especially the Pharisees, the Pharisees, right? Always quote Moses, always the law of Moses. Jesus said, you don't love Moses, because he wrote about me. And if you really loved what he had to say, you'd love me in the words I gave to you, because they came from my father. But Moses wrote about me in the law. So he says, you know, verse 20, 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And guys, that brings us to the third and final point of our outline this morning. We've seen the counterfeit faith of men pleasers, the genuine faith of God lovers, thirdly, the coming judgment on earth dwellers. Now, in our study in the book of Revelation, we pointed out that the term earth dwellers is used 11 times and always refers to unbelievers. But understand this, it is a technical term. And that doesn't just describe unbelievers in general, you know, those who are unsaved but still could receive Jesus and be saved. No, this is a term that describes militant unbelievers with hearts so hard to God that they will never even think to embrace the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. And it is at these unbelievers in particular that God targets his judgments during the tribulation period, you can read Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, but many other places. It says that these judgments are poured out upon the earth dwellers. Why are they called earth dwellers? Because they dwell upon the earth. Because the earth is their home. It's their dwelling place. They are creatures of earth as opposed to the redeemed who are called pilgrims and sojourners upon the earth. Those who are just passing through. This isn't our home. We're just passing through this world on our way to our true home in heaven. Now, the sad reality is that God loves earth dwellers and wants to save them. But they have so hardened their hearts, they have so hardened their hearts and have become so dull of hearing that they militantly refuse to hear his words or believe in his son. Let's finish and we'll back up. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Hang on to that. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word which I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is what? Everlasting life. That's what God wants for every person on planet Earth. 
People think God's a mean, vindictive, wrathful, vengeful God. God is a loving, kind, gracious, and merciful God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish in hell for eternity, but would have everlasting life, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, who is delaying his judgment because he wants to give people time to repent. But make no mistake, that judgment is coming. It will be here someday. But I want to just, you know, he, this is God's command. This is God's desire that all people should be saved. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The whole world could technically be saved. The whole world won't because so many reject Christ. But this is the Father's command. This is what I've been telling you. This is the words I've been speaking, verse 50. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus, I'm being faithful to declare to you the whole, we would say counsel of God, the whole word of God. I've held nothing back. Everything the Father told me to share with you, I've shared with you. But this idea that he said here in verse 47, I do, not judge, I do not judge people, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, reminds us of something Jesus said earlier in John 3. When do you turn there? I mean, Jesus had expressed this very sentiment earlier in his ministry. Let's look at John 3, verse 17. Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, to send people to hell, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, guys, Jesus at his first coming didn't come to judge the world. He didn't come to send people to hell. He entered the world, listen, on a search and rescue mission. A search and rescue mission to save condemned sinners. This is what he said himself in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost, not to condemn and punish, but to seek and to save those who, uh, which was lost, that which was lost. Now, guys, understand, there is a day coming when Jesus will judge the lost. He will send people to hell. You can read Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, which talks about the great white throne judgment. There is coming a day when Jesus will judge sinners and cast them into hell. But right now, we are still in the day of grace where God is offering eternal life in heaven to all who will believe in and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As I said last week, though, this offer of salvation is available to every man, every woman, every young person on planet Earth. But the offer won't last forever. It has an expiration date on it. To fully understand that, you've got to listen to last week's message. We talked about this in detail and what it means to cross the spiritual point of no return and commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But God is offering people Salvation. But he won't offer it forever. My spirit won't always strive with man, God said in the days of Noah. 
There comes a point when God's grace comes and when any judgment does come. Remember we talked about two scriptures last week, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore the Holy Spirit says today if you hear God's voice, if God's voice is speaking to you and you, you feel God's tug in your heart to, to get right with Him, give your heart to Christ, don't harden your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Paul says, For God says, you know, people say to God in an acceptable time, today's not the right day to accept Jesus, but, you know, uh, when I have a more convenient time, um, you know, uh, I've, I've heard you, Lord, um, and in and, and, and the day of salvation, I mean, you know, when I get pray to receive Christ, it'll be great. That, that day's coming. And, and, and God goes on to say, behold, today's the day. This is the day of salvation, right? This is the day you need to get your life right with me because tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Look, as we said last week, the day of salvation is that period of time in a person's life when they still have the opportunity to receive Christ. What does that mean? Are they alive? I think everyone fits that category. Some of you I'm not quite sure about, but... No, no, I mean, okay, you're alive, right? Now, some people are alive that have passed the spiritual point of no return, and the day of salvation is over for them. And we, again, we talked about this last week. But as long as you're breathing, you can receive Christ. The thief on the cross was hours from his death. And yet he believed in Christ, and God said, Jesus said, today will be with me in paradise. Again, John 3, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world at his first coming, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. Do you get that? Is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, sometimes people will say to me, when we talk about heaven, of those that actually believe in heaven and believe they're good enough to get there, they'll often tell, say something to me along these lines. You know, well, look, I'm a good person. And I know that when I die and stand before God, I'm going to plead my case. And I'm going to drag out all the evidence of all the good works I did over the course of my life. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to win this case. I'm going to win God over. And, uh, you know, he won't send me to hell. He'll send me to heaven because I'm a good person and I'll make my case and, 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 and he'll let me in. Why were they deceived? Why were they deceived? You see, they think that when they die and stand before God, <laughs> that will be their day in court. In other words, that this will be when they get their trial. Their trial takes place. When their guilt or innocence it will be determined. A time when God will either pronounce them guilty and condemn them to hell or acquit them and let them into heaven. What they don't realize is, as Jesus stated in John 3, verse 18, they're already condemned. They're already condemned. Their case has already been decided. God has already pronounced guilt upon the entire family of Adam in the garden. We're all condemned. We're all guilty, the whole human race, and God sentenced all of mankind to hell. You know why a lot of us will not go? Because he's also extended a pardon. We're guilty. But if we will receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, his blood shed on Calvary's cross when he said it is finished, right? 
Greek tetelestai could be translated paid in full. His blood was written across every ledger of every person that has ever lived. The ledger is all the sins and crimes against God they would ever commit over the course of their life in word, thought, and deed. When you accepted Christ at the bottom of your ledger, written in the red letters, the red letter blood of Christ, paid in full. You received God's pardon. You are no longer a child of wrath. God's judgment is now gone. It's not abiding on you anymore. You have now moved from the family of Adam, a cursed family, into the family of God through Christ, a blessed family. But when unbelievers, and the great white throne judgment is only for unbelievers, when unbelievers stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment, it won't be to determine their guilt or innocence. Again, the case has already been decided. The verdict has already been rendered. Guilty as charged is what God has said. Now, the purpose of the great white throne judgment won't be to decide a person's guilt or innocence. It will be the sentencing phase. We've talked about this, right? The sentencing phase, or in other words, a time when the Lord will determine their degree of punishment in hell. Read Luke 12, verses 47 and 8. There are going to be degrees of punishment in hell, even as there's going to be degrees of rewards in heaven. We have to understand that. You know, in, a, in our jur, uh, uh, judicial system, if a person uh, is on trial for a crime they've committed, right, and they're found guilty, at that point they're taken back and put in their cell, and sometime down the road, three weeks a month, they're brought back before the judge who pronounces the, you know, their penalty, uh, you know, for their crimes, their punishment and all. This is what the Bible is talking about with the great white throne judgment. Now, between the verdict in the Garden of Eden and the final punishment in Revelation 20, there is a whole lot of time that God has given people time to repent, receive Christ, and, 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 and receive the pardon and not go to hell. It's amazing. All right, let's wrap it up. John 3, again, verse 18. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As we said last time, guys, the ultimate expression of God's light in this world is his Son. Jesus even said this numerous times, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life, right? But again, John 3, 19 and 20 says, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That's the idea. It's not that God hasn't offered eternal life. Some people say, you know, God's a cruel and mean God. Why do you say that? Because he sends people to hell. I said, you realize that hell was not even made for man? Hell, hell was made for the devil and his angels? God never intended to send man to hell. But if man wants to live his life more in accordance with the devil's rebellion against God than in obedience to God himself, then man can follow the devil all the way to his final destination, which is the lake of fire. But this idea that God sends people to hell, no. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. 
And one author put it this way, saying, I quote, Jesus was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He died for the sins of all the world. But do men love him for this? No, they resent him. They prefer their sins to having Jesus as Savior. And so they reject him. Just as some creeping things scurry away from the light, so wicked men flee from the presence of Christ. Those who love sin hate the light, because the light exposes their sinfulness. When Jesus was here in the world, sinful men were made uncomfortable by his presence because he revealed their awful condition by his own holiness. The best way to reveal the crookedness of one stick is to place a straight stick beside it. Coming into the world as a perfect man, the Lord Jesus revealed the crookedness of all other men by comparison, end quote. All right, let's go back to John and we'll wrap it up. John 12, verse 47. Again, John is summarizing Jesus' last call to the nation. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word. That which I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Um, what he's talking about, of course, is Jesus' word, but he's talking about the word of God in general, too. God's word, and I'm thinking primarily of God's law. Listen to me now. I may throw some of you, please. Don't get up and walk out until you hear me finish, okay? What I'm about to say is going to sound heretical. It's not, but hang in there, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm keying off of what Jesus said here, okay? That uh, God's word, his law, is the righteous standard, listen, that all people, all people are going to be judged by. Paul said in Romans 7, 12, the law is good and holy and righteous and good. Nothing wrong with God's law. It's perfect. The problem was in our inability to keep it, right? But, but here, hear me out. God's word, his law, is the standard by which all people that have ever lived are going to be judged by. And God only allows perfect obedience to his law to be the basis for allowing people to enter into heaven. The only way a person can be declared righteous, worthy by God Almighty, and allowed to enter into heaven is to either have never broken God's commandments, not even once. In other words, you're sinless. So if you want to get to heaven by your good works, a lot of folks, I, my, I'm a good person, they want to get to heaven by their good works, then know this, you can do that, uh, theoretically, if you never sin. Okay? If you never sin, you can make it then. If you're sinless, right? Now, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standard. Just to let throw it out there for your consideration. So that's one way. Okay? Or, thank God there's an or. You can't live a perfect life yourself because you're sinful and fallen like me. Can't do it. Then you can get to heaven by being in Christ, who is perfect, right? Who did keep God's law perfectly without violating one commandment. Remember he said in Matthew 5.17, I didn't come to... to, um, to uh, 
condemn the law, do away with the law, uh, you know, destroy the law. I think he said, I've come to fulfill the law. Fulfill it. Now, that's a very important concept because the New Testament writers, Paul, for the most part, picked up on that and said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that is how we are accepted into heaven, by virtue of the fact that we are, listen, in the beloved one. When we gave our heart to Christ, God took us miraculously, supernaturally, invisibly, and placed us in the body of Christ. God no longer sees us. He sees Jesus. On the day of judgment, when I stand before God, I won't be standing for God. I'll be standing in Christ. I'm accepted. I will be accepted. I'm accepted right now because Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. And when I put my faith in him, everything he did, I benefit from. I'm the recipient of, right? He's perfect. Now I'm perfect. He's just. Now I'm just. He's totally righteous. I'm totally righteous. Positionally, practically, that's a different ballgame. That's what sanctification is all about. I'm talking about positional truths that get us into heaven. We're blameless. We're holy. We're sinless. We're just. All of it because I'm in Christ, right? And that is the only way I'm going to get to heaven. The only way. All right, verse 50. And I know that his command, the Father's will, his command, is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. To sum up Jesus' final words to the Israel guys, here it is. I'm here as God's representative. I'm here to teach you the truth about God. I'm here to show you God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. I'm here to show you God's forgiveness. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to save you. I'm saying the things that the Father gave me to say. Believe my words. And while you still have the opportunity, embrace the light before you die and are condemned to eternal darkness. That sums it up pretty, pretty good. These were Jesus' final words to Israel, his last call. But they're also his words to you this morning. And please don't do with them what Israel did in Jesus' day. They rejected his words. And so on the day of judgment, he tells us he will reject them. You reject my words now and die? You reject me? Then on the day of judgment, I will reject you. Look, don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. Again, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you, hear, if you hear God speaking to you right now, don't harden your heart. Receive Christ. You may not get another chance, right? This may be the last chance you'll ever get. This for you might be God's last call to you. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave this room. We don't know what awaits us. An accident, a heart attack, we don't know. So why not make peace with God right now? Why not receive the words of Christ, the gospel? Open your heart. Pray to It's a simple prayer. I've shared it with you last week. I'll share it again. This is the one I, I tend to use when I pray with people who want to receive Christ. I, I just have them repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know that you are God. I know that you came down to die on the cross for my sins. I believe you died for sinners. I believe you died for me. And right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe in you. I ask you to come into my heart. Take control of my life to be my king, my Lord. 
Give me your Holy Spirit that I have the power to live for you for the rest of my life. You are now my master. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life in your precious name. If you pray that prayer with all sincerity, that I am authorized by the Holy Spirit because of what I've read in his word to tell you, you are saved and going to heaven. And you'll never be thrown out of heaven. You'll you cast out of the family of God. You are, have a place prepared for you in heaven that will never fade away. It's eternal. So, yeah, last calls, last, Jesus' last call to Israel. What about his last call to America? Or even to us individually? We don't know. Let's not push it, right? It might be our last call. If you haven't made peace with God through his son, receive Christ today and uh, be saved. Father, we thank you. For your great love wherewith you loved us and how you sent your son to come down. Tell us your truth. Be a light in the darkness to us. Light our way back to you. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us eternal life for those of us who have received your son. And now, Lord, give us grace to live for you and to be a light in the darkness to those that we come in contact with, primarily our loved ones, our family members, our good friends. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us grace to be that light. And we ask that you would continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.